You're listening to a DM podcast. Welcome back to season three of Behind the Podcast with Jules and Stocks. We are coming back after a little bit of a hiatus, an extended Christmas period, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of time off. I mean, I think the last few years have been challenging for everyone, but we had a few things we had to take care of after a big year last year. You went and saw the in-laws and took your lovely little Margo. Met the grandparents, met the family, met the friends, so that was unreal. And that's uh, four weeks or so over in Scotland where my wife Lindsay is from. So that was our first trip away as a family and first trip in, in a number of years since everyone went into lockdown and since the little old COVID became a thing. I went to Southeast Asia and we were trying to line it up so we were away at the same time for minimum amount of fuss, but people I was travelling with got COVID. So I just got back. So yeah, we've had a nice little sort of six, eight week break, but we're refreshed, ready to go. And uh, season three, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Now to kick off the series, uh, Stocks and I went behind the podcast with Lana Mitchell from the Flying Doctor podcast. Uh, This is an amazing series telling the stories of mateship, life in the bush and the role of the Royal Flying Doctor Service in general. Yeah, really interesting podcast. I mean, for two city slickers like us, like you and I, fascinating to just hear stories of life out there in in this vast, awesome country of Australia. That's right. And there really are some incredible stories there. And and Lana is just amazing at being able to pull these and extract these stories from all of these people just around Australia. Um, So, look, why don't we actually hand over to Lana and just find out a bit more about the show? Lana, take it away. The Flying Doctor podcast is all about real patients, real staff, real stories from all over Australia. The RFDS has been around now for almost 100 years and... Thousands and thousands of people have been assisted in times of need. And so this podcast is really about bringing those stories to the fore and putting the focus on the patient, the community, and learning about their life as they live or work or travel in the bush. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, yeah, as you said, it's coming up to 100 years. We've discussed this uh just before we started this record but um the flying doctor is also a close one to my family my mom wrote a book commemorating the 75th year of the flying doctors in back in 2003 so almost 25 years on here we are keeping the story alive superb i mean it's actually interesting because the organization as it's actually made up of seven different companies um but as a health charity we're part of the national health system And we provide service to those areas where it's just not viable for the Medicare system to work. So we have a really vast footprint and we touch a lot of communities and and communities and families and businesses really rely on the Royal Flying Doctor Service. So it's been a, a really interesting adventure into bringing real patient stories and staff stories to the podcast and being able to share them to a much broader audience. Yes, it's interesting. So, you say at the top of each episode, it's a podcast about mateship, life in the bush, and the role of the Royal Flying Doctor Service. But how did it all start? I'm a communicator and I work within the Federation Office of the Flying Doctor. And so, I was just aware that there's so many stories that never get told or, or things that occur over time that just get lost as stories. And as an organization that is so close to the hearts of Australians, um, I wanted to bring those stories up and and be able to really celebrate them um, because I think there's a real 
courage and, and tenacity and persistence with the Australian person living in the bush. And there really is that they're, they're really strong people. And I don't just mean men, I mean women, I mean children, I mean families and what they endure. And so I think it's something that is quintessentially Australian and that we love to refer to and talk to, but we just don't talk to enough. So that's why I thought if we brought these stories to an audience, to a broad audience, that they would be really enjoyed and better celebrated. Absolutely. I think just sort of reflecting on the book, I mean, the, the book that mum wrote at the time was all about, you know, the setup of, of the Flying Doctor Service by Reverend John Flynn and everything. And I think she always kind of thought that the, the stories themselves of the people who have used the service and have benefited from the service and lived because of the service were tremendous. Yeah. And I think back then podcasting didn't exist before the flying doctors this kind of you know radio service didn't exist so i think that this kind of progression along to podcasting and hearing these stories is just so affecting and it's such a it's such a great format to learn more about the service as well yeah, well, in fact, The Flying Doctor is actually almost incidental to the stories is mm. sort of what I do because the focus is on the people themselves. And I just find I meet the most amazing people. There hasn't been a single person that I've interviewed yet that I haven't just been floored by, by their courage or their strength or their, you know, just amazing, amazing people. So I really enjoy um, that aspect of it. And enlightening myself and enlightening listeners on what it's like to live in some of these really remote parts of the country or to travel in those sort of um, areas that you don't often see or hear about. Mm. So tell us a bit about finding these interviews. I mean, you know, as you said, it's a big country. These people are in remote areas. We are the beneficiaries of technology to a degree to help, you know, reach out and get these conversations happening. What's the process that you go through to, to find the interviews? I scour through old reports and old um, promotions and appeals and I watch our social media channels and if any poor sod is silly enough to write on my Facebook page for The Flying Doctor and say, oh, my mother was saved back in the day, then they'll almost immediately have me jump down and say, oh, could you tell me more about that? So I just keep my ears open and some people are really not comfortable to talk about difficult incidents but others are just you know I'd love to tell my story I've never had a chance to do it and and for many of them because some of them are really severe and significant we've done gosh um as an example so I've done a crocodile attack I've done a a mum who was scalped when she was when her ponytail got stuck in an auger I've done a man who fell into boiling mud thermal yeah. pool in South Australia. I've got this, these are stories that are just, you know, or the young 14 year old who got stung by an Irukandji jellyfish. Which I listened to that this deadliest. morning. Oh, oh. oh. So the, the stories are, some of them are really, they make you shudder. But it's, it's really lovely. I think even a lot of these stories, there's a therapeutic element to them in walking through and talking about what happened. And it's definitely not done in a way to traumatise either the person telling the story or the listeners. But I can guarantee you will shudder from time to time <laughs> or cringe like I do. And there's also high funny moments as well. So, yeah, I love just bringing the stories up. And how many patients would the flying doctors treat on a daily basis across Australia? 
We have more than a thousand patient contacts every day. So that's not just retrievals because the Flying Doctor does uh, telehealth services. We do clinics uh, like primary healthcare clinics. Um, we have dentists that drive around and provide dental services. So it's just over a thousand patients every single day we have contact with. So it really is a bottomless well of potential stories. It, absolutely, absolutely, which is what I love about it. I try to get a real, I try to hunt down stories that we haven't covered yet. So, for example, at the moment I'm on the hunt for a snake bite story because we haven't done snakes yet. So I, I know there's a lot of snake bite stories out there. So I'm really, I've got two that I'm hunting down at the moment. So I try to make them different. And believe it or not, I've already done two helicopter crashes and a plane crash. So... Um, <laughs> It's, it's, it's amazing There's the things that can happen when you're, you know, a long, long way from a hospital and people enjoy telling those stories and explaining what happened. Um, there's an amazing one that is still one of my favourites. A young boy, 16 years old, this has happened about 30 years ago, was riding a motorbike, a uh, very large Queensland station, and his dad had said to him, I need, they had a big storm. His dad said, I want you to go out and survey the fence line and make sure we haven't lost any fences. And so out he goes. He's like 20 kilometres from home on his little bike, on his dirt bike, Anyway, he went underneath a tree, a low-hanging tree, and it had ants on it, and all the ants fell on him. And while he was struggling with being bitten by ants on his little motorbike, he ran straight into a barbed wire fence and severed his trachea. So literally slit his own throat with a barbed wire fence. And he tells the story in this raspy you know, hoarse voice, which he still has 30 years on. But the story of, of how he manages to survive is just beyond the beyond. Like he virtually did CPR on himself against the kitchen table waiting for the flying doctor to arrive. So these are stories that you just, you'd, you'd struggle to make them up in honesty. <laughs> I mean, just, they're so real and they're told by the people that experience them. So I love bringing that really genuine and authentic content testament to the vastness of Australia and the unique logistical challenges that presents, I guess, you get nowhere else in the world. You mentioned yeah. that you're talking about you're getting the stories of the people who experience these events, and often it's not the, the patient. It's often someone who is very close or was with the patient at the time. And that's simply because sometimes the injuries are so bad that that person's unconscious or, or mm. that the last thing they remember was, you know, them you know, having the accident and then they wake up in hospital. And so you've got to tell the story through the eyes of somebody else that was there. Mm, it's very compelling. There's a 14-year-old girl you mentioned who got stung. She's telling basically up to the moment when she got back to the boat, doesn't know how she swam out to the boat after being stung, and then her mother takes over. And it's, a, it's such compelling storytelling. Yeah, it's intense. There's one which with the crocodile attack where we actually had it told by the staff member from the moment where the doctor received the call, from that moment where the call came in that a, an off-duty ranger had been fishing and had been mauled by a crocodile, she got the call um, that came in and she was on that plane that dispatched out. And so she tells it all from her perspective and what she was being told over the radio. So, yeah, we get the stories told from different audiences um, or different participants, which is really interesting too. When you sort of initially do the pre-interview or anything like that, are you starting to, to formulate the narrative structure uh, from those conversations to understand, you know, who has what part of the information of that story? I mean, as you said, like, 
you know, can be quite traumatic for those involved on both, you know, both the people who are affected or the people who are there supporting and understanding where yeah. that, those kind of drop-offs in the story might be and how you can weave those together. I, I do a really thorough pre-interview mm-hmm. just to make sure the person's comfortable with it and to make sure I understand the story. And often that pre-interview really changes the way I think about the interview. What I first read or heard about it often is then once I get the fleshed out version, I then tailor it more. There are some that just drop off where I get to that pre-interview stage and I say, look, you know, I don't think this is going to work. And and sometimes you just have people, I, I've had one person that I, I did a pre-interview with who was just so self-promoting and it was all about them and not about the actual incident. Yeah, I mean, the one that you did mention earlier on um, about the guy who fell into the thermal mud pool, I mean, that was quite full on to listen to um, and that was from the perspective of, of, of his friend Nigel I mean hearing I think a lot of these kind of voices and particularly if they are from these remote areas and this is going to be a massive stereotype but sometimes people are a little bit more um, I don't know like just straightforward and, and don't sort of beat around the bush too much and hearing the effect that it has on someone like that and the emotion in their voice can really resonate yeah. with you do you yeah. was that in particular I mean is that from Nigel's point of view because the other side like they weren't sort of comfortable telling the story or how did you come to just being it from Nigel's point of view? Oh, well, in that circumstance, um, the the reason we went with Nigel was because the patient who had suffered burns to 90% of his body virtually can't remember any of it. Yeah, wow. And so, so he remembers stepping out of the car and that's it. And everything else, you know, it, it became part of, of that really horrifying incident and so when it's told from the view of Nigel saying you know oh you know and he he pulls him out even the fact that he managed to pull him out of a boiling mud pool and then saying you know what he saw as all of his friend's skin fell off like it just you just oh anyway um (laughs) because it's storytelling um even though it's it's, it's content that's sometimes not easy to listen to, but it's still storytelling. And so you can't, you can't just skip over that stuff. So I, I try to do the interview and, uh, and have people there to, to respond to the questions in a way that, well, what would be the question that the person listening to this podcast would have, you know? I don't want to leave the listener sort of hung up on, well, hold on, I don't understand how they got from there to there or what happened or mm. how did he even live. So... It's trying to put together a story that makes sense from a listener's perspective, but while still treading carefully around the fact that it's a pretty sensitive thing. Yeah, well, it's incredible the speed with which people react and and how they're able to kind of come to the the aid of their friends and family and and loved ones when they're in those situations and then having that kind of service there as the backup to really, you know, take their good work and, and make sure that, you know, hopefully they can get everyone out alive and unscathed yeah and i think it's important to emphasize here as well although we've talked about some of the sort of more shocking elements that are on the podcast it is really an inspirational podcast it's not a horror show by any means so look if you're out there listening it is it is inspiration it's about humans overcoming adversity ingenuity and this incredible service that the flying doctors provide I think, I think if anybody feels, you know, woe is me, you know, life is hard, whatever, you listen to some of these podcasts, you go, I really don't have it that hard. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I, for me, I just am amazed all the time at the courage and the tenacity and the strength of Aussies and what they put up with and what they go through. I just, it makes me sort of think, gosh, you know, really, 
any problems that I have are just so minor in comparison to those that we service. So that's one of the reasons I love the podcast. Yeah, the tenacity around what people are able to persevere, but then also the kind of the charitable spirit of people as as well to kind of help out, you know, friends and, and strangers and, and whatever. I mean, you spoke to someone uh, named Sam Hughes about, you know, driving the tractor around to raise money. And those kind of stories as well are really interesting too. I mean, what kind of community uh, outreach and, and things like that are you doing? Because let's talk a bit about the actual funding of, of the Flying Doctors and, and how this works and, and how your show comes to be and, and mm. what you sort of rely on to get that made. Yeah, so the RFDS or the Flying Doctor is seven companies, which is a federation of, of um, charitable organisations. And about one third of our funding comes from the federal government. So we are contracted to deliver key services that are just not available outside mainstream services. So one third comes from there. About one third comes of our funding comes from state governments. And that's to provide, again, services in areas which are just not covered because they don't have a local township or they don't have um, a regional primary health network or whatever. And then the last third really is fully dependent on the generosity and um, and kindness of Aussies. And so, you know, we rely on fundraising, we rely on donations, we rely on philanthropy, corporate partnerships, bequests, all that. And so um, it's it all. This podcast is um, really a brand educational piece. I don't have a direct fundraising ask on it. It's more about educating people on on what the service is and how we work, and and letting people know that we're here and that um, that they can support us. So that's how that's how it all ties in. And did you sort of start it out as a bit of a, a an experiment to see how it was received and re- and what the reaction was and. <laughs> It's a funny story, actually, because I thought initially um, when I first sort of thought, oh, I'd like to do a podcast, I thought, well, I'll just do the intro and I'll do the outro and then I'll have somebody who knows what they're doing to do (laughs) do the guts. And then I had a a person who's no longer um, with us, but they they were with us briefly, but they were trained journalists. And I thought, well, she should be the one that does the interviews because she's a professional at this. And then I got the first sort of draft or, or version of an interview done and it just was, it, it didn't sound right. It wasn't, it wasn't like sitting around having a chat with somebody as a really informal chat. It was sort of like a formal interview process and I thought, no, that's just not right. Mm. So then we rejigged it and I ended up doing the interviews and luckily I had a, a bit of apprenticeship from the person that was working with me to put them to produce the the podcast at the time because I was nervous as um but um after you know the first five six seven I made lots every single mistake you can make in the book I made and then I've sort of come out and now I go okay I know what I'm doing I can I can do this actually and I really enjoy the process I enjoy meeting these people talking to these people I love getting their stories out I I should say though I think I think I get it pretty tough compared with a lot of other podcasts because, you know, I reckon 90% of podcasts that are produced, maybe even 95% of podcasts that are produced in Australia are produced in a studio just like you guys are. In our cushy little leather couches. you (laughs) you, You sit across from each other with the microphone and you have a chat and, you know, it's all easy or it's, you know, between Sydney and Melbourne or Brisbane or whatever it is, you know. And I'm doing interviews with people who have no internet and so... 
technically the challenges that i run into yeah. are just beyond the beyond i've run into all of those and so routinely you'll hear on my podcast you know a disclaimer saying look really sorry there is there are some sound uh, inequities here in this issue in this um story but it's worth listening and and that really comes with the territory because the rfds provides service in areas where there is no health service, and similarly, there tends to be really shitty internet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you might have you might have a Traeger back on his pedal powered, yeah. you know, <laughs> radio yeah. very soon to do yeah. this. Yeah. So, what techniques do you use when you're interviewing people that Malcolm's NBN left behind? Um, <laughs> So I've done everything. I think the one that I resort to the most when internet is just so bad and so crappy, I've done some interviews where I've restarted them five or six times and had the internet fail and finally said, okay, we're, we're, we're dumping this. I'm going to call you on the landline and you're going to get your phone out and we're going to use your phone as your microphone and your recorder and then you're going to send that to me. And so that's that's my like fallback finally is just you know let's just talk on the phone and we'll figure it all out otherwise and then of course then then you get the recording from their phone and you and they can't send it to you because it's too big. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So next time you're in a big city or go to... <laughs> yeah, so there's so many challenges. Um, well, then there's a hot mic at the end where they're just cursing out Lana for making me send all these files. And try <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though there's hurdles, internet hurdles and connectivity hurdles, I just sort of say, well, you know, that comes with the space. That's We provide service to areas that just are so remote that, you know, if you can't overcome that, then why are we even bothering? Yeah, yeah so, totally. Yeah. Yeah, look, we touched on a little bit before your process, but could you just run us through the process of an episode? So, you're doing your pre-meeting and just where it runs to from there. Sure. So, I do um, I do like a pre-interview and then I do a really thorough search to really understand the location, the people, the station, the activity, make sure I really know about it because a lot of these are things that I just had no clue about. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I try to at least get myself up to speed so I'm not sounding like a complete numbnut. And then we schedule the interview and I always in advance put together almost like a run sheet for myself um, and it starts off with an introduction and so by the time I actually go into the interview, I've already got an idea about how I want to frame it. I always start off with trying to learn first or, or educate or, or enlighten the audience about the place and the person I'm interviewing and maybe a bit of their background or how they came to be there or what their basic history is and then from there go into the incident or <laughs> whatever it might be and then try to walk through that in a way that's not painful or, or traumatising for the person and also not just absolutely horrifying for the listeners but bring a person, bring the audience through that journey and then do a reflection piece at the end of like, so where are you now, how are you doing, what was rehab like, you know, how are you progressing. I mean, I'm making it sound like it's just a horrific podcast <laughs> generally you get to the end and you feel uplifted the idea is that you get to the end of the the episode and you feel uplifted and you feel like you've learned something and you feel a, a stronger affinity for that person interviewed and for that part of the world and so i guess that's what i try to achieve rather than people getting to the end and saying god i'm never gonna go to you know wherever yeah well i think some <laughs> great stuff comes out of it for sure i mean there was uh, there was one where andrew conlon had fallen down the, the mine shaft and you know 
obviously <laughs> everything that he endured through that and the recovery process and, and whatever is, you know, that's to listen to. But the resulting factor and, and what that kind of, you know, brought about in him writing his own book and, and sort of servicing the, the flying doctor as well through that, through educating children. Yeah, they're amazing people, just yeah. amazing people. But even soft-handed city slickers like Julian and myself, Look, you've got the guy who went skydiving in Tasmania, yeah. in Hobart, who that's easily something. I mean, I was in Hobart recently. Yeah. I mean, that's within the purview yeah. of what, what I could do on my on a trip to Tasmania. So Yeah, it, or there's one I released last week, which is also about a long-distance um, ocean swim, which happens from Perth. So so they do touch on, on people that live in metro areas, but I guess I try to... I try to make each episode a little bit different and a different type of activity or person or location or something so that as a listener goes through the series, and this is my fourth series, that um, they're just constantly learning about Australia and I really hope that they come out the other side of it going, gosh, this is a great place to live and aren't we amazing? So with that, we were just chatting before we started this as well, but you'd mentioned that you've got a couple of interviews happening you know, today over the next few days and everything. How many kind of recording up front for a series and how many do you have you know in the can there ready to go because it does seem like you've got an absolute plethora of stories to tell <laughs> i do 10 in a series and i try to always stay two or three ahead because things go wrong if i sort of say okay well i've got this one um this interview planned for next wednesday and that will be my weekly interview because i try to at least release one every week and I plan to release one every week for the rest of this year pretty much. So once I get going, I like to have a few in the can so that there's a bit of a backdrop. Sometimes, you know, a person might get sick and they're not available or something happens. And so by having a few sort of there as a backup, then I know that I'm not, you know, really struggling. And I like to take the time to make sure each one is done really well. So I don't want to get to a point where I'm sort of, oh, I have to skip a week because, or I have to really rush an interview because we've got to still have time to edit it and get it out. Does that enable you to kind of shift which one comes out when as well to kind of, as you were saying, balance those stories between you know, yeah. the, 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 the trauma and the inspiration or however you want to kind of put that? Yeah. So I've done, so series two, I've got two, dare I say it, middle-aged men. <laughs> <laughs> So now I'm, I'm, I've got some interviews with women uh, and children and and just balance it up. And I'm doing a lovely interview tomorrow with um, an Indigenous nurse with the Flying Doctor who can talk about what we've done in um, Aboriginal communities with COVID and so forth. So I'm trying to mix it up and so that when you listen to a series, it's a it's refreshing different content and different demographics. But I realise that most people just have a look at the titles and just go, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> <Do you laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's probably futile in my efforts. But anyway, that's that's okay. That's sort of where my head goes on it. Interesting. And you've introduced a phone line where people can call in and interact with you. Can you tell us a little bit about the audience of the Flying Doctors and what you know and how you communicate with them? Yeah, so the Royal Flying Doctor Service is, um, for the last 10 years, Australia's most trusted charity. And also in the last year or so, we were um, voted or surveyed to be Australia's most trusted charity. So we have a, a really broad audience and demographic that support and love the service. What I'm finding is that 
I'll do an interview and that interview will be shared by that patient with all their family and friends and with their local community and everybody and then they'll start to explore and, and find some others to listen to and meanwhile I use it through our social channels, our Facebook and um, Twitter and LinkedIn and so forth and, and it just sort of grows and grows and grows. I think I lost some listeners. Um, I didn't put out any podcast since last September. And so now I'm sort of really determined to just stick on it for this year and put out one every single year, because it's that continued release of content that keeps an audience subscribing and listening and, and, and really tuned in. It's when you go quiet for months on end where they just sort of, they wander off to listen to other things. Mm. I'm very heartened by the statistics so far and the downloads so far since we've launched Series 4 last week. Uh, it's all looking good and I do plan to uh, actually advertise and uh, promote, directly promote this podcast over the course of probably August and September and maybe even some TV ads. So I'm going to step it up a little bit just to make this podcast a little bit more visible to people that don't know about it and who love the Flying Doctors and, and want to know more. I don't know if you know, but we have a, a new TV drama that came out last year. It's yes. called RFDS. It was produced by Channel 7. Endemol Shine Australia brought it out. Wonderful, wonderful TV drama. And uh, Series 2 is hopefully going to be on screens early next year. So I'm trying to keep the two of them, the podcast and the TV drama, sort of co-marketed so to speak so that um, people that love the tv show can learn about the podcast and people that learn about the podcast can learn about the tv show yeah that's brilliant i mean that's just such a great asset to have both sides really to complement yeah. each other yeah so before we jump into some podcast recommendations i'd just love to know was there a podcast that got you into podcasting i really enjoy a lot of podcasts i'm not a big true crime person but i do um enjoy a number of the ABC uh, almost documentary style kind of podcast and there's a number of those like the 11th hour and that sort of thing. <clears throat> what the British Stole, uh, just a fantastic podcast. So I really like that storytelling, using podcasts to tell a story in a, an emotive and really strong way and I think those influenced me to a large degree in terms of what I want to do and how I do it. Are there any others that you're sort of listening to just for a bit of, you know, relief or reprieve from these kind of stories or any other recommendations? Um, there's others. Um, <clears throat> I like Simply the Jest, uh, which is a Triple J podcast that they put out, which, again, is people calling in to tell stories that are quite humorous. They give a subject like, you know, bathroom and then people call in with their silly stories of bathrooms and tell them and then they judge Jess, who's part of the program, then judges which is the best of those stories. And they're again, they're sort of typically Australian stories of just weird and wacky things that have happened to people that are real. I've enjoyed that one as well recently. And then finally, do you have any advice that you'd like to give to other potential podcasters out there who might, you know, be wanting to deal with people out in remote areas or anything at all, really? Yeah, or might be working at an organisation and saying, we need a podcast. Yeah. I think... Getting the format right is really important and making it simple, trying not to bite off more than you can chew. Uh, I definitely, when I first planned the podcast, I had really bizarre ideas. Now when I sit back and look at it, uh, I really was a bit unreal about it. But once I've gotten started, I've realised it's, it's a really, once you get a formula, work out what that formula is or the template or the process that you're going to have and then stick to that and be always willing to learn and take on 
advice and direction. I definitely couldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for the people that have helped to teach me how to do it and how to you know direct and advise me. I think it's well worth diving into podcasting and giving a go. I love it. I think you'll be hearing from me for a very long time on this podcast. I've already told my colleagues, I'll be podcasting in another <laughs> 10 years. So it's, it's really, for me, it resonates because I really get to connect with these amazing people and amazing communities all across Australia. So I find it really rewarding. And I think that my passion for bringing these stories to the fore then communicates enough to through to audiences and, and audiences then subscribe and continue to listen oh, we're to thrilled to have you around it's and, well worth you know, giving it a go Andy just realize that you need you to well. and she loves getting once you start you've got to stick mm. at it absolutely well, well that, pa that passion really comes through in what you're doing and look it's it's a fantastic podcast and everyone should get around it yeah totally the service has been going for nearly 100 years and hopefully your podcast will be going for another 100 <laughs> along with the service <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. And I've got to say, a, a selfless plug, I'm now a DM podcast and loving it. So I want to say thank you so much to DM Podcast for taking me on and, and helping me on my ongoing journey. 